Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Hey everyone, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome again. Great to have you with us on another edition of the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco as we talk motor racing from all angles. Now this week on the podcast, my guest is Jessica Dane, of course, partner in Triple Eight Race Engineering, and we had a great chat covering off so many things. Uh, and here's just a little snapshot of what's to come on this podcast. We talk about her role in the upcoming, well, I'm calling it new era of Triple Eight. She might call it a little bit differently, but of course, Roland stepping down at the end of the year, her father. Uh, Jess is a shareholder. Jamie Winkup, obviously, now uh, will come out of the full-time driving seat as well. Tony Quinn's part of the the ownership group at Triple Eight. So we talk about what's ahead for Triple Eight. We talk about her earliest memories of motorsport on the other side of the globe. We talk, too, about coming to Australia and joining Triple Eight and really catching the motor racing bug. We talk about her gap year, her role in trying to make motorsport more accessible to women. Uh, We also got some great questions, a big, huge amount of questions for the National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer questions, so I throw some of those at Jess. And of course, it wouldn't be a sleuth pod without a top 10 shootout to finish things out. So anyway, this was a great chat. I really enjoyed this one. I hope you do too. Here we go. Buckle up. Time to start. Jessica Dane on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. Jess Dane, hello. Welcome to the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. Great to chat to you. We've got heaps of questions to go through. We've got heaps of stuff to talk about. But first of all, are you like me? Are you hanging to get back to a racetrack? I've got a feeling the answer is yes. Hello. Yes. How can you tell? Oh, my God, I can't wait. And I like. I feel terrible because it's not even been that long for for us in the grand scheme of things like Townsville feels like forever ago um and we in Queensland have been fortunate enough to not be locked up like most of for most of this time like Sydney and Melbourne have like like you guys have for the 3082nd day or whatever it's been but um definitely oh I'm just I'm missing it I feel like I'm missing a limb um Heading out to Queensland Raceway to watch Excels go round in circles just isn't quite the same thing. <laughs> um, what else have I done to try and fill the gaps? You know, a few days at Norwell, did Noosa Hill Climb. Oh, no, that was before Townsville. Um, but, yeah, no, it's just not been the same without it. Can't wait. Yeah, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. Four rounds at Sydney, a weekend off, then Bathurst. It's going to be the biggest end to a championship that we've probably had in a long time. But the other thing is, there's a bit of a changing of the era going on with, with your organisation. Obviously, Jamie's going to have his last full-time drive. He's going to move into a, a role next year. You've got, um, you know, you're a partner in the team. You've got your role. Tony Quinn's now involved. RD stepping back. There's a lot of stuff going on at your place. Uh, does, it, does it feel like it is the, the end of an era, start of a new era, or is it just so busy that no one's even stopped to even figure out what it feels like at the moment? I think probably the latter. No, the the era thing hasn't really settled in. I don't I don't know if you can call it an end of an era. I I like to see as see it more as an exciting new step in Triple Eight's life, really, rather than the end of an era and in the beginning of a new one. Um, I think if 
are the plans that we had started putting in place months ago around how we were going to celebrate Jamie and RD's retirements of those who can't see me, which is most people, everyone, I'm doing the air quotes, retirement, Um, (laughs) changing uh, changing of roles, let's say, transitions. Um, We started planning the the retirement celebrations and, and things months ago, all around it all happening on the Gold Coast. And that's clearly not happening. And now not only is it is the finale been pushed out and changed? It's now Bathurst, and to us, that's you. You don't touch Bathurst. You don't. You don't mess around with with Bathurst with with gimmicky stuff and um, you know take taking the piss because it's you can have an element of fun leading up to it, but certainly that Sunday is going to have a very different tone to it than if we had been at Gold Coast for that final race for Jamie and RD, but. In terms of the busyness side of it, it has been crazy here. We're hearing of other teams who are, have been on three-day weeks and four-day weeks and, and haven't had too much going on here. It has been all systems go literally since we had word that the calendar was changing. So there was we, we had that kind of possible calendar of starting at Winton in September um, and as soon as we knew that we were having an extended break we started ripping out downstairs so for anyone who doesn't know our headquarters has been at 40 Depot Street in Banyo for um, since 2008 and earlier this year uh, we signed a lease to rent 73 Depot Street so it's 200, 300 meters down the road. And we moved all of our manufacturing down there and expanded our manufacturing. So we've invested several million dollars into um, new equipment and we're now enabled and equipped to do bespoke manufacturing that is very scarcely available um, in the whole of Australia, let alone in Southeast Queensland. So we're, we're definitely shifting in that area but having cleared out the machine shop and fab shop downstairs we've now got this massive space that nobody realized how big it was <laughs> and now that it's empty it's huge but that's being turned completely into car bays which is really exciting um and will enable us to <laughs> we've been bursting at the seams for a few years so now all of the extra cars everything from excels to the amg gt3 are going to have dedicated bays and spaces to be looked after <laughs> They can have their own room. They don't have to share. It's like kids with their bedrooms. And <laughs> is there room now with this? I know what you mean. When you take everything out of a room, even if it's just the furniture at your house, it suddenly looks very, very different. Is mm. there room here for? I get a feeling from knowing you for so long and and your approach to motorsport. To so many people, they think Triple Eight. They think supercars. Obviously, it's the the thing that is your bread and butter. It's your main main game, literally. Yeah. Super 2 connects to that. Clearly, the cars flow on and so on, developing drivers, um, guys like Brock Feeney. Uh, it's the perfect platform for them. You've had some GT involvement. But then the Excel stuff started. And I'm wondering, can you, with these, this you know new era, new chapter, exciting new focus for Triple Eight and your involvement stepping up and, and Jamie being involved, all of those things, do you now feel like that having your vision a bit wider is there the possibility that you could see triple eight running cars in other categories um getting involved in more than just what you are now because you've got the the capabilities because there are opportunities out there do you look at that and go well there's plenty of things for us to do here that people might not normally associate us with in the past for sure i think we've 
done a very good job over the years as positioning ourselves as the brand that leads our supercars team. So back in the day, that was obviously Team Better Electrical. Then we became Team Vodafone, Red Bull Racing Australia. And as that's evolved over the years, um, we have never really put Triple Eight Race Engineering at the forefront of what we do. But the expansion into GT and um, also the the diversification that we um, that we encompassed during COVID has really given us an opportunity to expand the Triple Eight Race Engineering brand, and it's a really interesting time at the moment because we we're expanding, as I said outside of motorsport as well. And that started with ventilators um, back during when, when COVID first hit. And out of that, that's what triggered the expansion of manufacturing. And we're now looking at everything from, from you know, medical equipment through to caravans and, and whatever else. Um, and it's people approaching us to see if we, can, if we can do this. We're not really going to market with it yet because we've still got some work to do down at 73 but um, as part of that, it's really got us thinking about our DNA and how we market ourselves. And Triple Eight Race Engineering, it says it on the tin, we're motorsport engineering. But now it's, I've got one side of, I've got so many government conversations going on at the moment, both at a state and federal level. And on one hand, I've got some government people saying, oh, the race engineering, it makes you so unique. That's that's really exciting. Um it makes it a really exciting prospect for someone to be involved in. But then on the other side of it, I've got another group of government people saying people looking at grants and stuff won't want to touch motorsport engineering. So it's, yeah, that's, that's an interesting time, but certainly in terms of motorsport, um, yeah, supercars has, has been our bread and butter and we've, we've always, we've done a good job of as positioning ourselves as our supercars team, but I, I love GT racing. I love having been more involved with grassroots. I love rally. <laughs> there are all these different personal interests, but no matter what we do, it's always got to make business sense. I would love to go and set up, you know, an Australian rally championship arm of triple eight race engineering, but unless that could stack up now, I'm not, I'm not spilling any beans here or anything like that. This isn't a scoop <laughs> um, because right now we wouldn't have a way of making it make financial sense everything we do has to make business sense so if somebody comes to us and says that they want us to run um a fleet of hyundai excels and we're going to set up the, the most elite hyundai excel squad and we could make the numbers stack up then yeah of course we'd probably do it but um it, and one of the reasons that we've been so successful in supercars over the years is because we've always managed to make sure that if it's not making a, a small profit, then it's at least breaking even. Um, and that's how we've, yeah, that's, that's how we've always approached our attitude to everything. When everything is possible, everything is achievable, but it always has to make sense on the bottom line. Triple Eight ARC team, we heard it first, podcast <laughs> listeners. <laughs> hey, take us back. Uh, with our podcast, we love to talk about this, the current, but we love to talk about the the history and the heritage of people and the sport. Um, what's your earliest motorsport memory? Is it BTCC Triple Eight in the UK, or, or what is it? Earlier than that, actually, my earliest memory. I can't remember what track it was at. It may may have been Donington, um, but it was when RD was still racing, I must've been three years old. I reckon I have a really strange memory. I can remember all sorts of 
weird stuff from when I was a kid. Um, yes, I can't remember what I read in my law textbook yesterday. Um, <laughs> so yeah, my, I think I was three or four years old and sitting on my mum's lap, really nice sunny day. And we were sitting in the, it must've been like the, the driver's lounge area type thing. Um, it was a grassy area we're sitting in white plastic seats there was a small white picket fence thing separating us it was a bit worrying that that was all that was separating us from the side of the track and I remember as soon as the um, lights went green and the race started I fell asleep and I woke up the minute the checkered flag fell (laughs) and I remember I even remember what I was dreaming about I was dreaming about dinosaurs um but yes, that is my earliest memory. <laughs> I just paused, it, not seeing one of our D's races. <laughs> it is the first time any of our guests in 150-odd episodes have ever mentioned dinosaurs in this podcast. Oh, well, so there's a first. <laughs> first time for everything. First like, time like for everything. There's a spot for dinosaurs in it. I love dinosaurs. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a five-year-old nephew. He loves them. He's, he's hardcore into them. Uh, first V8 supercar round, if I remember, is Bahrain 2007. So... Uh, that that's the first exposure to it and you weren't here at the time you were still over there as it were in the UK yeah my that was my first round my sister who's five years older than me had come over in very early 2004 um for two months on her gap year and she did she was kind of of, did a bit of team coordination and stuff but she came back and obviously had had a bit of an appetite for it and, and it, we could see it on it was on motors tv in the uk at the time so um yeah if we if we knew it was on then then we'd tune in but um yeah it wasn't i didn't properly get into the sport or, or realize how much i love it until bahrain 2007 and from there away you were so so you you had destiny set (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say so your gap year was the following year wasn't it and you you came out and you were working in sub-assembly you were putting all sorts of bits together in so this is 2008 this is the the year of the three-peat with the bathurst win with craig and jamie so you Mm -hmm. know the the team is is humming along jamie's uh winning the championship for the first time that year as well so you picked a good year to turn up that 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 was great (laughs) well i actually had a streak of um for for a long time this streak carried on until i think like 2013 townsville 2013 every race i went to we were on the podium at least once with one car so i had a really good streak (laughs) (laughs) i mean the team was doing great obviously but there was this joke that i was that i was a good luck charm that i was a lucky charm and that was actually why in 2000 15 um because i wasn't working at triple eight i took a i took a stint off to work in tv production in the second half of 2015 totally separate to motorsport Sandown. um i watched from watched from the sofa with a group of the other girls and uh we did we was it was a shitter <laughs> sorry i don't know if i'm allowed to swear but i just yes you put it was it. bad sand down um and we got home, or RD got home, um, and I was still living with him at the time. And the first thing he said when he walked through the door was, you're coming to Bathurst. And I had been <laughs> planning on not coming to Bathurst because I was in this new job and I'd already taken holiday to go to a wedding in the UK. And I was like, oh, God, you know, I don't know if I can get time off. 
Um, anyway, got dragged to Bathurst 2015 and we won. So <laughs> there's something in it. There's something in it. It's actually not many people would remember that. Yeah, I remember that period where you went off and did some, some other stuff in TV production. Was was that a case of just wanting to to further yourself? Was it time for a change? And and what brought you you back to Triple Eight? We've probably skipped a little bit here, but I wanted to pick up on it while we were talking about it. All right, uh, can skip all over the place. Chronological order sometimes dull, isn't it? Um, sure. Yeah, 2015. I think. Um, so two, we need to go back a little bit. So I, I 2013, I was, um, that was my first full season as media manager and I loved it. And I remember thinking before the season started again in 2014, oh, I, like I'm in danger here. I'm in danger of getting stuck in a rut and being too comfortable. And then Adelaide 2014, um, <laughs> I was like, nah, can't do this. I need to change. <laughs> I need to, I need my next thing. I need to, I need to. After one year, it was only one year for crying out loud. <laughs> oh, it was just that it, like the second time, the second time on the circuit, I just, it wasn't that I wasn't enjoying it. It was just that I already felt, I was already aware in myself that I was getting too comfortable. And I, like my biggest phobia is being in my comfort zone. I'm always trying to push myself out of my comfort zone. And so 20, yeah, 2014, I was talking about finding, um, finding something else. I was, um, and that was probably in TV because that at the time was probably still where I wanted to go. Um, RD convinced me to stay, um, and, and told me some lies and, and I believed them and I stayed. And anyway, <laughs> tw- fast forward 2015, um, I was like, no, really, I've got to go and do something on on my own. I need to go and, you know, prove that I'm not here because of RD and, you know, bit family and that kind of stuff. But I fundamentally forgot that the reason that I moved back to Australia was to work in motorsport. And so when I went and worked in a normal, a normal job, even though TV production isn't even that normal, but it's not, it's not sport, um, that I was miserable. I was really, I remember one day I faked having food poisoning because I didn't want to go to work. And I was like, wow, this is like, this isn't me. This isn't what it's supposed to be like. You're supposed to, I'm, I've never in my life have not wanted to go to work. And if this is what I feel like doing this, then something's not right. I can't just stick with this for the sake of it. Um, And then at the end of 2015, our team coordinator had to leave because uh, she had, she had personal circumstances changed. So she had to leave, which meant that there was an opening back at triple eight. And although nobody thought that I'd be a very good team coordinator because you have to be team mum and I am not, I am not (laughs) team mum. Yeah. I did that for a year uh, in order to just come, come back into triple eight and, um, yeah, learned, learned plenty about the business in that time and learned plenty about myself in the time before that while I was um, at, at working elsewhere and outside of motorsport. Yeah, so going away, it, when you don't have something in your world, it makes you understand what you had, why you loved it, what you wanted to do, therefore you you come back. So at what point here, and does it kick in at that point when you come back to go that I love Triple Eight? Triple H's part of me. I'm part of this place, but I want to be, and you've already got the gene there that you've already want to be more. You don't like comfort zone. You want to push, you want to grow, you want to move up, you want to make bigger and better. So where does, where you're sitting now, where's the catalyst? Is that the catalyst then when you came back there to go, I want to build into a position of 
uh, being able to contribute here really well and be in the position that you're in now. Where did that roadway start? I don't, I don't think I know the answer to that question. Um, it's more the the path to where I am now has more come from the the belief that I can do it like it's yeah I I didn't come back with the intention of going well I'm so and I should probably fill in the gap that while I was at um at this production company that was when I came in as a shareholder in triple eight so that second half of 2015 was when we also brought in Tim Miles and Paul Dumbrell um and, and another shareholder at the time um and me um, so we all, all bought a little bit and that has gradually increased over the years um, to the point where I'm now at 30%. And and for a long time, I've just rolled with with the, the shareholdings and stuff and, and just rolled with, with it is how it is because that's what the higher powers are saying should happen. And um, And it wasn't until maybe a few years ago when I thought, hang on, this like I've I've actually got equity in this like I have a vested interest in this it's not only it's not only that I'm here as a shareholder it's that I'm here as as triple eight as my family and they've been they've been a mass triple eight has been a massive part of my life and so many people here have been a massive part of my life since I was 17 years old and it's this is where I see my future so how how do I help shape that future how can I best benefit and best benefit the team and also show that I deserve my seat at the table and that I'm here for the long term. So yeah, probably in the last last few years it's started to cement itself as what um what I need what what I need to do. And to be honest, like what what's happened now over the last um probably two years or year and a half, um, where we've started planning for for what's happening in January. I triggered that because I could see that RD wanted somebody to, you know, show him that there is a way out without him. He would never hold up the flag and go, no, I'm done. I can't like, I'm over this. Um, but I could see that, that that was because he was so worn out during COVID the, the time and energy and, and, just constantly trying to think about how best to look after everyone here. The amount of that that went into tri- from him to Triple Eight over that over that shutdown period during COVID last year, um, I could see that he just was burning out. So I sat down with Jamie and I was like, "Dude, we need to do something. <laughs> we we need to start helping pave the way for something to for RD to know that whatever he wants to do." we're here to support him and whether that's next year or whether that's in five years or whatever it might be, we are here for, for him in, um, in whatever way he needs. It's knowing that he's got someone who's in a position and a want and the skill set to be able to carry it on. So clearly Mm. he's been able to do that. Tony Quinn, obviously involved now has had a long time motorsport involvement. So for those who don't quite perhaps know, we've probably should have prefaced this earlier in the piece, What's your role? What's your day-to-day world at AAA? What are you actually doing? I mean, you, you're managing commercial, you're managing relationships with partners. What's on your plate day-to-day? Yeah, I get, I've been asked that a lot recently and I don't know the answer. I, <laughs> I do lots of stuff, lots of stuff. 
do many of the things. Um, <laughs> it, it, I don't, I don't have a title. So I used to be like commercial operations officer or something like that. Um, but I removed that earlier this year because the amount that I actually do in commercial now is, is pretty limited um, because the first half of this year, I was all over the place. I was spending maybe like one day in the office a week um, because of all my various different between uni and working in the law firm and doing the ARG broadcasts and doing the rally broadcasts. There was a fair bit going on in the first half of the year. And um in order to service partners, you need somebody who's there to service them every day. <laughs> and that was not me. So um, thankfully, my colleague, Cyan, um, took over uh, took over a fair bit of that. So commercial, not so much. But day to day at the moment, and bearing in mind, like every one of the reasons I love this job is because every week is different. Even when we're not racing, every week is different. And um so I do a lot of just even though I'm not finished my law degree yet I do an awful lot of contract work um I'm doing a lot of work with the governments uh, as I already touched upon um so that's everything from grants to building relationships to work with various um manufacturing arms and, and departments down with with what 73 is doing I've taken over HR um I'm company secretary um yeah, there's there's a lot of we're going through an awful lot of compliance stuff at the moment because we're doing um, we're applying for um, ISO nine thousand and one accreditation, which is basically a manufacturing standard that's globally recognised that you can go to um, you can go to any you know a, a Qantas or a Boeing or somebody like that and say we've got. ISO 9001 accreditation and that ticks their boxes straight away because they know that you're at the standards that they need you to be at. So that's um, working on that kind of stuff is taking up a fair bit of time and, and getting compliant with that. That and ISO 45001, which is um, workplace health and safety. So it doesn't sound like it has much to do with motorsport, but it's all the necessary stuff that goes on behind the scenes to enable, to ensure that we're, we're doing it all properly and that we're expanding properly. Like I have this nightmare of waking up one day and knowing that we've gone from, from this big to this big, um, again, video, podcast, yeah, gone from small to large, <laughs> all gone from medium-sized to all gone from a small, medium-sized business to, to definitely a medium-sized business. And we haven't done it properly. We need to be it's so important to be compliant every step of the way, um, whether that's from a from a government regulation perspective, even down to a civil liability perspective. So with so much of these things on your plate, this is like having every type of vegetable, all the meats in one. At some point here, there's only so many hours in a day and so many hours in a week. Is there going to be a point, do you feel, where you're going to have to wind some of this stuff back, you know, the broadcasting stuff you've been able to do some more of. And a lot of people don't understand your background in that because you studied journalism over in the UK. So you've got runs on the board there. It's just that people here hadn't seen them to know because you pop up on the screen and they go, oh, why is the triple eight chick on the ARG telecast all of a sudden? Well, she's done a bit of this stuff over the journey, just that people hadn't quite seen it. But the point of the question is, are you going to to be triple eight, Jess Dane, are you going to have to maybe in the future wind back some of those other things that you're trying to do or can you you feel like you can be everything to everyone for as long as you want to be 
One of my sayings is the like one of my personal mottos that I have hanging above my desk at home is um, the limit is so much further than you think and you can always do more. So I think that when when we feel like we're really busy, um, we we're not we're not at our capacity. We're nowhere near our capacity, and it's and one of the other ones is everybody has the same number of hours in a day. It's just how you prioritize stuff. Um, so you at some point you have to accept, and I had to come to this realization earlier this year. At some point you have to accept that if you want to do everything, you're not going to be able to do everything to the very best of your ability. Like I had to go okay, here's everything I've got on this week. I'm at triple eight on Monday. I'm working in a law firm on Tuesday. I have an assignment due on Wednesday and Thursday, Friday, I'm in a forest covering a rally. And one of those things is going to have to give. I can't do them all at hundred percent capacity. What in the grand scheme of things is going to affect people the most and the least. The thing that's going to affect people the least is my university degree. Like, Nobody gives a damn whether I get 80% or 60%, apart from maybe the union. I don't really care what they think anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm the only person who worries about what percent I get on an assignment. And I just had to readjust my thinking and my expectations to go, okay, yeah, you're going to spend less time on that. You're not. But as long as I've got the material there, that when I come to it and how, however long, whether it's a few months or a few years time, and I go, oh, I remember I covered that in this unit. Um, I can go back and refer to that information. I've got all the material there. It's not like I need to be able to recall it straight away off the top of my head (laughs) tomorrow. Um, So I think in terms of of how much I've got going on, um, if I ever feel like something really important is being sacrificed, like if I ever feel like I'm not delivering my best for triple eight in the team here, then yeah, I'll, I'll know that something probably has to give and I have to have to step back from something. But um, also that I operate best when I'm absolutely at my limit like that. And that's how, that's how I'm happiest. Although I have those moments where I'm like, I can't breathe because I can't see the end of the, I can't see the <laughs> light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> um, but I love that. I live for that. That's, that's me when I'm at my happiest in the last few months, I felt like I'm like almost, almost failing at life because I haven't felt like that. And I miss that feeling. We'll get the uh, brown paper bags ready for you as well. If you just need to have a little, <laughs> little bow to stop the hyperventilation somewhere uh, along the line. Uh, one, one of the partners that we have with our podcast is a great bunch of guys at the motorsporttrader.com. So they basically keep motorsport memories alive. They're, they're a bit like us. They, they look after and, and sell and deal in memorabilia and in panels and race suits and all sorts of stuff over the journey. Are you a memorabilia person in terms of motorsport or do you have – nothing in the way of, oh, I'd like to keep that. I know there's some people who are shareholders in supercar teams and team owners and drivers and engineers and mechanics who, well, a little bonnet here is pretty cool or a race suit or or this or that. Have you got anything that you are a memorabilia fan of or is it all stay in the cabinets there at at AAA? I have very little. I'm not a stuff person. It's, I, I don't... Funny thing is, I was literally just having this conversation with Jamie the other yesterday because we were signing some, we're signing some memorabilia. Shane had just signed a heap of model cars and Jamie was signing a heap of other memorabilia. And um, yeah, I just, I said for like, for me, it's 
there's I so see the value in it for other people but for me personally I'm not a I'm not a stuff person and I don't get I don't understand the pleasure in having of things like it's just not I, I guess I'm I guess I'm not materialistic I don't know but um yeah I don't I don't get the I don't understand the enjoyment of things for me personally, but I love it. I love seeing like fans come up in autograph sessions and pulling out a car, a model car from, you know, Craig Lowndes in 1996 or something. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. Like, and then you can keep that and that means something. And maybe you'll, maybe that will then be left to, to a child or another or another relative or something. And that's, and that's really cool. And if it has, especially if it has memories, but what I do have at home is um, I've got four of the very small model cars and I can't even remember how I came to have those. I probably walked out here with them one day by mistake and just never brought them back. (laughs) But the 164s, um, so they have no sentimental value. That was a mistake. (laughs) Um, But I do have a 2018 bonnet with a framed picture of the 2018 Sandown podium. Which was a one, two, three lockout. Which was our one, two, three. Best, like, best memory ever. Yeah, that's pretty hard to top. There's not too many teams in the championship who've run one, two, three over the journey. I think Triple Eight and uh, the Holden Dealer team are the only ones to, to do that across the, across the years. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, And within seconds, you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Have you got any passions outside motor racing and law and all the things that you're doing? Now, I I know you're a tennis tragic. I know you're a Roger Federer fan (laughs) because we've had many a discussion over late night texts while Wimbledon's on and Australian Open trips and stuff like that. Is tennis your thing outside that you like to follow? What else do you follow from afar, whether it be from a sporting side of things or entertainment or music? What, what else are you into? Oh, God, I'm going to sound like such a loser. I feel Go like on. I don't really have anything else that I'm like hardcore into anymore. Um, and the Olympics actually reminded me of that because I, I think apart from like the obvious thing, everybody tunes into the 100 metre finals and stuff like that, but... Other than that, I was just I just watched the equestrian the entire time. <laughs> I grew up with horses, so um, that's my. If I wasn't into horsepower, or if I wasn't working horsepower, I'd be working in horses with four legs. Um, in the UK, uh, it was that that at the end of uni was kind of my choice. Do I stay in the UK and and take up one of the several job offers that I had to get into the media side of of equestrian? Or do I come back to Australia and work in and work in motorsport? And um, yeah, I felt there was probably more scope over here, and also the sun's out more. Um, and and uh, yeah, the prospect of coming back to Triple Eight was was quite exciting. But no, outside of outside of motorsport, yeah, I don't I haven't played tennis in a long time. Um, which like I've still got two tennis rackets. I don't know if, actually if I can class the first one because that was one of RD's old ones. No, forget that. I've got one tennis <laughs> racket. <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise, if I have the rare occasion that I have time when I can just go, I can just do something for myself. Um, like if I'm if I'm between semesters or something, then um, I'll generally try and go 
adventuring somewhere um somewhere local I feel like I've never really taken advantage of the fact that I'm in such a beautiful area of the world and I hardly see any of it um which is a shame but um yeah outside of outside of motorsport I watch more motorsport <laughs> I'm the person who will watch a practice session a Formula One practice session in the middle of the night or set my alarm for 3 a.m to watch Talladega which just happened this week <laughs> because of the rain delay <laughs> I, yeah I'm that I'm that person it doesn't make you any different from any of our listeners because we are <laughs> motorsport tragics all. So you're one of us. There's no problem there. Don't go thinking that you're, you're not uh, normal. You are normal, totally normal. But you're I like don't have anything else. I can't be like, oh, yes, I am. Um, I do I do Sudoku on top of mountains <laughs> in my spare time. <laughs> there is our audio grab that is going to be our uh, our podcast uh, uh, playoff that's going to get a big run. I do Sudoku at the top of mountains. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, tell me too. Um what we saw when we did our call out for questions, when we told our followers you were going to be um, a guest on the podcast, lots of great questions, which we'll get to shortly. Um, lots of them from um, girls and women, a lot of them from dads asking on behalf of their kids, of their daughters, yes. um, in terms of where they want to be with their careers and motorsport being an option and engineering and, and stuff like that will cover off. Um, obviously, there's the FIA Girls on Track program. You've had a heavy involvement with Motorsport Australia. And what I'm having been in racing professionally for 20 years, I remember a time when a girl in a pit lane was a one-off, Stacey Manning, a Paul Morris Motorsport, yep. Stace, who's now Luke Yildon's wife. Um, yep. She's probably the only woman I can remember in the early 2000s being in, in the pit lane uh, in a, you know, a non-media PR-y type role. But I love the fact that we're seeing, and it's not just motor racing, it's in all other sports as well. We're seeing more female participation, more engagement, more involvement in other roles that are not traditionally the ones that they've they've been in the past. Because you've been involved in these programs, what are you seeing and hearing from these uh, kids and, and teenagers and adolescents about, is the light bulb going off for these young girls that actually this is something I really like, this is something I could do and I can do, and these programs and all the things you've been involved with are, are taking it there to them? I think there are two levels to answer this question. So the first is the girls that that we target through Girls on Track, who are the ones who who we're trying to encourage to look at STEM subjects and STEM industries as genuine possible career paths and using motorsport as a tool to do that. They're the ones who wouldn't necessarily have ever really engaged in motorsport in any way, um, but who will now be able to turn on Bathurst if, if their family happens to put it on and go, oh, that's, I, I sat in one of those cars. I, I saw that car. Um, oh, that's cool. And, and that will hopefully make them, if they, if they don't decide to work in motorsport um, or work in a STEM industry, hopefully they'll be a fan of it for life. And it's really about getting those girls to realize that once, STEM subjects and STEM industries are something that's accessible to them. And then there's no reason why they can't follow those, um, those possibilities, those opportunities and to realizing that there's, there's nothing they can't do. Like if that's what they want to do, then go and do it. There's role models like Molly Taylor, the perfect people for showing them. Like I, I didn't let anything stop me. I went and did it anyway. Um, and then the second level of that 
is the people who we're able to target again through girls on track, but probably a little bit wider as well. Um, the girls who've grown up in families that are motorsport fans, they do follow the sport and they know what it's about. And they go, wait, I don't have to only watch it from the outside. I can be in this, whether it's giving up your free time to work as an official um, or um which I would, you know, it's so important to see more more women at that level, at all levels, but um, we couldn't do anything we do without our, our awesome officials anyway. But um, whether that's coming into the sport, yeah, as an official or um, a parent thinking, actually, I might, I might get my daughter into karting or a teenage girl thinking, oh, I, I want to be a race engineer. I saw Robbie Mayer on TV engineering and I want to do that too. Um, so yeah, there's there's so there's so much good sentiment about it about about it now and just this realization that these girls can do it and there's no reason that they can't be involved at a deeper level than just watching it on tv or going to going to a track and watching from the sidelines probably links to my next question then how how close was that and how correct were the reports about the the Simona Di Silvestro Triple Eight operation, a, a predominantly female team? How close did that really get? Two days close, literally. Yeah, <laughs> it right. was. Um, we had a we had a funding deadline, and we were we had everything. We we had what we needed, um, and then two days before the deadline, a third of the budget fell over, and you can't find that amount of money in two days <laughs> so yeah it was like that was really gutting um that that fell through but you have to kind of look at and everything I hate this saying but but things do happen for a reason and I remember talking to Simona um you know probably a year a year afterwards and she said look if 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 it had gone ahead, then I wouldn't be a Porsche um, and I wouldn't be moving back. You know, I, I wanted to move back to Europe and this is my ticket back to Europe. And it's with an awesome, uh, with an awesome manufacturer in, in a good category. Um, but, and then if, if that had gone ahead, then I wouldn't have done a law degree. Um, you know, who knows where, where we would have ended up, but yeah, I think that if that, that had come to fruition, that would have been a really incredible incredible thing to be able to show up to to girls is something to aspire to mm, for sure definitely it's good to see um simone has been on the pod before um i think we have to get her back on because we really didn't get to talk to her about all the other stuff it was just before she was finishing up her time in australia and about to, to head off a couple of months after so uh plenty of things we've got to talk to her about somewhere down the track that's for sure um yeah. i mentioned it before our fans have asked lots of questions i'm going to bowl into them it's the national motor racing museum's couch racer questions of course the museum you know it well you've been in there i've been in there mm-hmm. it's uh it was home for a while for the 2006 bathurst winning better electrical falcon it spent a bit of time uh on display up there over the years it is due to reopen very very soon of course during covid in new south wales it's been closed for some time it's given everyone there a chance to move some of the exhibitions around and and change it up a little bit for when we can get back there but if you want to know about their opening times jump on the museum's Facebook page or the museum's Bathurst website to be across that. They bring us the couch racer questions. The fans have brought the questions. Jess, you're going to bring the answers and I'll be the bit in between. I'm the the Q to the A. I'm the Q to the A. Uh, Sean Lander uh, has got the new ball from the padding to the end. Uh, That's a cricket reference for those wondering. Um, 
you're stepping up along with J-Dub at a great time in sport, Gen 3, right around the corner. What would you like slash hope to see developing the sport going forward? Oh, good question. Um, are, we, are we talking technical? Are we talking? I think you, this is pretty open-ended. I think you can take it wherever you want to take it's broad. it. It's pretty broad. Um, yeah, that, that's a really good question. It's probably something that I feel like I need to put more time into into thinking of an answer for. But um, I think Gen Three is going to be going to be awesome for the sport. Um, I'm really excited with with everything that that will bring. Um, I'd like to see more, I'd love to see more of an international flavor back. <laughs> Obviously that's very hard with COVID, but <laughs> if we could um, at some point in the future, get back to having, um, having an international race, if it's, if it's financially feasible um, and bringing international drivers back over here, um, if that's, you know, if that's feasible as well, then that would be, that would be really cool because I think that, um, in Australia, we definitely take it for granted for how good the product is. And I think we also don't entirely realise just how much people from overseas, how highly this sport is rated by people overseas. It's watched in so many countries around the world. It has fans all over the world. And people watch our television product and go, that is, that's world class. And um, I think having having a little bit of an international flavour will just help remind everyone involved how lucky we are to have such a good package. We would like to say it's one of the things our fans and followers and readers say they'd love to see some more international drivers, particularly mm. back to Bathurst, and that's something Triple Eight did over the years with. I think back to you know Fabrizio Giovinardi coming and Mark Hines and James Thompson and Alan Simonson, mm. the late Alan Simonson, and. Um, Andy Prio, Matthias Ekstrom, the Xbox wildcard cast. So there's plenty of opportunities. I get a little feeling this is not a question from a fan. Uh, I'll be the fan for the moment. <laughs> How are you going to go next year? Do you have a plan in mind if you've got more drivers than you have seats? More drivers than we have seats. Uh, i.e. you've got Brock oh, Feeney yeah, coming on board. Okay. You've got Shane yeah. Van Gisbergen as your full-timers. There's this bloke Tander who's won Bathurst for you. There's this bloke Lowndes who's won a few for you. There's this bloke Wing Cup who is, you know, we haven't heard yet if he's definitely going to drive next year, but I get a feeling that he can't help but walk away. I feel like he's going to have want to have another crack. So there's five blokes. In two cars, that's four seats. You're going to have to run three and find someone else and go wildcard it up. Now, how are you going to deal with all this? Have you got a plan in mind? Is it a bit... Am I am I on to something here, or is this an issue that you have under control and solved, and you're not worried about? Yeah, the, those maths those maths don't make sense at the moment. So yeah, something's going to have to give. Um, but yes, we've got we've got a few possible scenarios that that we're working through. But right now, we just need to get through this Bathurst, see how we go with that, and um, and then we can start thinking about how we what bums we put in what seats next year. Nicely done. You've got a future here in this industry, just quietly. Uh, Craig McPherson, uh, this is a really good one. This is one of the questions that I love to see when it came through. Uh, year 12 exams on the horizon. He's guessing he's not the only parent with a child who's contemplating their entry to uni for engineering with aspirations to get into uh, motorsport. He's in the dark on what sort of courses best align with the field to progress someone towards motorsport. So if you've got any insight on what particular engineering fields or places to study that you're looking for as a motorsport team 
for a student who's coming through uni? What do you want them or what would you like to see them study and walk out with a bit of paper for you to consider them in the future? Mechanical engineering. Um, that is, I mean, internationally, there are some other courses that are offered. Um, there is a specific automotive engineering in, in the UK. I know that for sure. Um, and yeah, some different different versions in, in like Germany and places, but in Australia, mechanical engineering. And we look for people who have demonstrated throughout their time at uni that um, one, they can work hard. So they've worked while they're at uni and two, um, always best if that work is involved in motorsport in, in some capacity. So actually, Dado, although we didn't give him his job, we inherited him from Briggs, Mark Dutton. <laughs> <laughs> it almost sounds like you were, you were lumbered we took with him. him. On originally. It, it he was. Started, it was, uh, it was Marco who took him on. He actually hadn't really worked on cars much before. He came from boats. But he he showed throughout uni that he that he could build stuff and that in his when he wasn't being paid to build stuff in his spare time, he was building stuff and being hands-on. And that actually, that's really important for an engineer. We look for people who have uh, evidence of being hands-on. Um, and, and that always makes them more useful, as well as being able to design uh, parts with a more sympathetic mind towards the mechanics as to how they actually fit onto the car. Um, that JJ um, had a lot of evidence of building building and racing his own cars. Um, who else? Like Couchy worked for a steering steering rack company, I think, while he was at uni. Um, and... John McGregor, who used to be Craig Lowndes engineer, um, was was similar. He worked for uh, he worked for Superbike actually, yeah, a Superbike team while he was at uni over in the UK. Um, so yeah, as long as people can show that that they're willing to put in the hard yards and dig that bit deeper than the next person, then that's what we look for. But mechanical engineering is your place to start. That's a place to start. Oh, uh, Justin Reinke or Renke, I'm not quite sure how to say Justin's surname, so sorry if I've got that wrong. Will Jamie be pairing up with Shane for Bathurst next year? He's going hard for the jugular Ooh, here. He's definitely going in into there. the kill. Straight in there. I guess well, we, we, change, we, could change, we could change this to get a better answer. Could Jamie pair up with Shane for Bathurst next year? Because by the rule book, he can because he's no longer a full-time driver. I guess it's an option. He could, yeah. I mean, in, in theory, he could. But right now, we don't even know if Jamie's driving, which we kind of already touched upon. It's nothing is nothing is set in stone because it does largely depend on how Jamie is feeling once he transitions into his new role. And Jamie, if anyone knows him, knows he he doesn't do stuff by half. If he's going to do something, he wants to go in knowing that he's giving it his absolutely best shot at winning the thing. And that goes, you know, he didn't he didn't drive a GT car until he knew that he could go in and win the Bathurst 12 hour. And that's exactly what he did. You know, first run in a GT car, he uh, jumps in a Ferrari and wins it. Um, so he, that's that's the kind of person he is. And if there's any doubt in his mind about whether he is the best person for that seat, then I don't think he would do it. Um, if he genuinely thinks that someone that someone is better, if he thinks that Garth is the best person to team up with Shane again, then then it will be Garth. Um, so yeah, we'll, you're, you're asking a question that we don't have the answer to yet, to be honest. Plenty of possibilities ahead. We'll, we, we will wait and we will see. I've got some bad news here for Sean Beggs, who's asked our next question, because I think I know the answer, and he's probably not going to like it. 
when will we see you race your Excel? Now, I've got a feeling I read somewhere that you don't have an Excel anymore. I don't have an Excel anymore. What My, happened? Um, I will tell you what happened, Noons. Go on, tell you give it to happened. us, give it to us. I walked downstairs one day and uh, one of our DS2, our, our Super 2 team manager, Maddie, said to me, oh, um, what, uh, what are your bank account details? And I was like, why? <laughs> Whoa, where's this going? He's like, oh, because uh, I say the the guy um, who's uh, bought your Excel can transfer the um, deposit into it because Ardy doesn't want want the deposit sitting in his account for some reason. Um, so it just needs to sit in yours for the time being. I was like, what? <laughs> so, wait, wait. <laughs> Let, let's rewind to the bit where you said where he sold my Excel. Um, and yes, without without telling me, he uh, he sold it. So I have no Excel. Did you ever get to do anything with it? I cut about three and a half laps at Norwell without much speed. I drove it once this, I drove it twice last year, shortly after I got it. And once this year, um, but I don't really count that because I literally just had an operation like two days before. And I probably shouldn't have been driving at all, let alone trying to drive a <laughs> of road car i was high as a kite on um, on antibiotics so I, I turned out i was having a reaction to my antibiotics <laughs> and i was like woo um but yes no i have not cut many laps in it at all um and now i can't did you forget what line of work your dad's been in over the years. I think he's bought and sold lots of cars over the years, just whether he didn't buy it, whether he sold it, I'm not sure, but he, he, he's good at selling them. He's definitely good at selling them. Yeah, he's, he's the first person to admit that he is a dodgy used car salesman <laughs> or dodgy car salesman, not necessarily used cars, but uh, yes, he is, he, is just a, he is just a car salesman who's uh, done quite well out of it. Mm, well, he did good out of your Excel, I'm sure, because he wouldn't have sold it if it wasn't a good deal. Tate Lindstrom, <laughs> another good question. Are there any supports or grants through government or MA for women's motorsport clubs that you know of? They've got a fantastic women's drift club in South Australia. Um, they really want to expand it and help to put on some bigger events. Where would you aim Tate and her club? So it completely depends on your region, um, what what is available and because it varies this i'm actually trying to get my head around this at the moment from a triple eight perspective um you've got your um you've got council and then you've got state and then you've yeah you've got state count council state federal all who have different funding and different grants going on at the same time and just trying to wrap my head around what's available to who at what point um just in terms of triple eight is is pretty difficult and it completely depends on what area you're in you're in so the best place to start is actually to get in touch with your um, local council and state governments and just ask them if there's anything available. And what I found is that so many people at government, so many civil servants really want to help and they employ people literally just to help explain to businesses what opportunities are open to them. So the club itself can get in touch um, with like a business development officer or something at, at, at local level and, um, and find out that way. It's just starting those conversations. And in government, once you've got one conversation going, that opens the door to another one and another one. And, they, and that's why I've got about 800 different conversations going on with different departments right now. Because each person has gone, oh, I know this person who works in this area and they could help you in this section. And um, and yeah, they're they're all 
they're all amazingly, amazingly helpful and very grateful for the opportunities that they're helping us discover. Uh, and the other place, of course, to go, although drifting isn't associated with Motorsport Australia, but in terms of the just getting more women involved in um in motorsport um they'd be motorsport australia although drifting does not sit under um that umbrella motorsport australia is a great place to go to um and they have a female participation officer um who will specifically be able to help you so the contact details are available on um motorsport.org.au Nicely done. I knew you would know the answers to some of these. That's why we have you on this podcast. So there you go, Tate. There's a few pathways to uh, to head down in the upcoming weeks and months. Uh, Paul Voigt, what's the most important thing RD taught you about supercars or his advice that stuck with you for the journey? <laughs> From a very young age, he taught me women and pistons don't mix. So I took that advice and I threw it in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, he's, uh, I, to be honest, yeah, the fact that I'm still involved in motorsport is sometimes uh, baffles me that I managed to um, <laughs> battle through the uh, the walls that he's put in my way over the years. Um, no, the, um, I think one of RD's key sayings is, is assume nothing. And that only does, that doesn't only apply to motorsport that applies to, to life in general, of course, but applying it to motorsport, um, it's really been a key part of triple eight success because you never, you never assume that something's been done. You never assume that something has been communicated. You never assume that somebody knows something that they might, that they might not. And that, that constantly remembering to assume nothing is a massive part of why Triple Eight has been able to set the bar higher and higher each year, and um, and constantly strive to do or, or push push the boundaries of our own performance really, um, because you just you can't ever it, assuming nothing means you will never rest on your laurels. I like it, and from what you said earlier on, we know that you're not that sort of sort of person, so that all fits together really quite <laughs> well. Uh, I'll throw another one in. Behind you on the wall, for the those who can't see, uh, we are in a pod. But you're you're at Triple Eight. You've got on uh, the wall behind you a shot that that in, the, well now famous shot from twelve months ago when Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Thunder won Bathurst with the Holden flag out the door of the the ZB Commodore, uh, which you know was so symbolic given it was the final year of Holden as a as a brand as a company in Australia. Although we are still racing Commodores, but not with with Holden um, as a as an active brand. What's your favourite Triple Eight Bathurst win? Um, and you can't say all of them. <laughs> being being on the wall for the three piece in two thousand and eight was really special, but I don't know if I can say that that's my favourite because I feel like the fact that I had only been involved in the sport for a limited amount of time at that time, like I didn't. As special as it was, the the gravity of it, I didn't and couldn't fully appreciate at the time because I wasn't as aware of the history of the sport and the mean, the how meaningful that race and that mountain is. Um, I wasn't I wasn't aware of it at the time, and I couldn't have been because I hadn't been in the sport that long. Um, yeah, Bathurst twenty twenty Bathurst last year was 
it was special in its own way because it's a year that no one will ever forget. It's probably going to go down as the strangest year in the history of our sport. And yeah, this year has been strange as well, but but in a way that we were more anticipating. Um, and we kind of know how to navigate it after last year, but definitely all the all the curveballs that got thrown at us last year and just getting to the point um, where we could even race was was just incredible and and doing it in front of only in front of such a limited number of fans yeah that's not how you want to remember it but it's something that will yeah that will stick in my head for some of the wrong reasons (laughs) like (laughs) like the fact that we're standing on the podium or, or Shane and Garth are on the podium and there's and there's no crowd where it, and juxtapose that with our win from 2018 um, when the crowd was roaring loudly, loud, like that. And that gives me like, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that now. <laughs> and the, the two wins are just so vastly different. But then 2018, like it was, it was like it was written in the stars. Craig's last Bathurst is a full-time driver teaming up with Richo like it's just yeah that that was pretty magic as well um and yeah I don't know (laughs) I was gonna say out of all of this you haven't picked one you've you've rattled off about four but I don't think you've actually I gave reasons why they're special (laughs) okay 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 I you 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 make a very good point and I've spoke about this recently and if anyone's wondering about 2010 I wasn't there well there you go you can't claim that one then I was there I was the Bathurst wins that I have been there for are 08 12, um, 15, 18, 20. So, so I, missed, I missed six, seven, ten. Where were you for ten? Like seriously, what, what you were the good luck charm. Where were you? They didn't yeah, need know, you for that right? one. Got a one-two <laughs> and you weren't there. You didn't have to come back for anything. Yeah. No, I can't. I was, um, I was at uni in the UK is where yeah. I was. Boring, boring. Yeah. Hey, yeah. you mentioned about last year being so, so strange and – I feel like obviously Garth's won the race prior. He, he's experienced the podium and the roar of the crowd and all that a few times. I feel it would be really unfair if Shane's not to win another Bathurst over his career because he hasn't. He's won Bathurst. It's in the stat sheet. It's in his resume. Um, he did it. We saw it. it. Was on telly. Some people were there and saw it, but he didn't get the full experience of being a Bathurst winner. So I hope that he gets to experience that. I know he's a pretty laid back, quiet sort of a guy. He's not. Um, an extrovert, but I think to to really be a Bathurst winner, it's kind of like winning the Brownlow medal when someone gets it taken off them down the track. You didn't get to experience the things that go along with it on the night and for him to have a roaring crowd and to have well wishes here, there and everywhere. I'm sure he's not craving that sort of stuff because he's not wide like that, but it's the bit that he's missed out. So I hope he does get to experience that again one day down the track. Well, you know what everyone missed out on is the world's most epic burnouts. (laughs) <laughs> so yes he he didn't do burnouts because there wasn't a crowd to do them for so if he were to win it again then the burnouts around mount panorama would be next level in front of crowds he has form he has form in that field mm. uh i'm sure it will be worth its while when there's a crowd there. so, and I, rubber. so I if it's a small crowd at any race ever in the future let's herd everyone to the one corner and that will tick the box for him to, to let rip on some rear tires. So I've got this sorted. I've got this sorted. I've got this sorted. Um, uh, now, Pete asks, what's your favourite chocolates? Oh, random. Um, 
lint balls. Yes, nice. I like it. Uh, we yeah, always get a food question. We always get food questions, and I like to throw one in to mix it up. Yeah, no lint balls. And the the DFO at the airport, uh, at Brisbane Airport, has a lint shop. So you go yeah. in there and you fill a box. And for my birthday a few years ago, I was given 1.3 kilos of lint balls. <laughs> and um, at the time, there was like six of us living in one house or like all of whom we worked at AAA apart from one person. <laughs> and um, I was very particular about the lint balls that people were and weren't allowed to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Do not get in the way of the lint balls to Jestane. Otherwise, she will injure you on the way through. Touch my caramel ones, I will end you. <laughs> I'm filing that away for future reference. Uh, Instagram, Instagram's given us a couple of questions too. Aaron Windus, who's a bit of a rallying star, says, "When are oh, you making? Hey, when are you making your rally Thank debut?" You, um, oh, give me a car, mate. <laughs> hand, hand me the keys. I'll take it for a spin. And this Just, is this is proof whether you trust me or not, Aaron. We'll find out. We'll see if there's a response next week. There's a rally uh, the weekend after Bathurst. So, um, Aaron, mate, if you're you're there, we know what's happening. Yeah, bring it on. (laughs) Bring your suit and helmet. You're good to go. Molly left me her car, so it's only only fair, I reckon. I reckon with that. I'll go around the the service park trying everyone's (laughs) cars. (laughs) I reckon you've just uh, got that over the line by saying that Molly's let you drive her car. I reckon now everyone's going to have to step up and give you a a steer. Speaking of steering, uh, Karisbrook03 on Instagram says, would you ever or have you ever had a go in a supercar? No, I actually missed that one day that we've had over the years, um, 2012. Um, I... It was just before I moved back to Australia. We had a spare ride day at Norwell up our sleeves. And rather than cancel it, we took uh, one of the cars down, uh, one of the race cars down and let let team members have a spin. I mean, there were literally some spins. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that was the one time that everybody's got to drive one of the supercars. Um, and I missed it by, like, two days. Mr. So no, the answer to that, that is much. no, I've never, driven, I've never driven a supercar. The most exciting it gets is when I get to sit in the driver's seat to load it onto the truck. That counts. I think that counts. Yeah. <laughs> it's more than a lot of people get to do, so I can't feel like it. I reckon you're right. I've got a funny feeling that particular ride day you're talking about, the Norwell day, there is some YouTube vision floating around, and it might be David Couchy having a crack. I think there was a few guys who had a go that day, and might have proven why they're better race engineers than uh, race drivers. But I've got a feeling yeah. that that video is is somewhere lurking around on the YouTubes. And I think from my memory, that was the ride car at the time, which remember there was the Falcon chassis that had the Ford engine and the Commodore body on it. Yeah, uh, yeah that, uh, that lives in Thailand now. That's it. So luckily enough, it was probably a good idea not to let Craig and Jamie's race cars loose with the uh, with the team mm-hmm. members for, for that particular day. But probably, yes, uh, no, that was links... definitely significant lack of talent from Couchy's side. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I, think, sure. I think I've seen the footage as well. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure we'll have to dig it out and share the link somewhere on our socials uh, when this pod runs. Uh, and that probably is a nice little link too. We're really looking forward to, obviously, we have delayed um, doing the Triple Eight Car History book that so many of our fans have been excited to see. Obviously, the 
the Gen 3 things changed in terms of when the windows were going to be. 20th anniversary is coming up for the team in 2023. So we will put together that book. We've just finished off Larry Perkins's cars. We're going to do Triple Eight down the track. So that Falcador's in there and all the Bathurst winning cars and championship winning cars, Jamie stuff, Craig, Shane's, wild cards, drift cars, Sandman's. It's all going to be in there. And we're looking forward to, to sitting down and putting it all together in upcoming months and over the next sort of 12 months or so. To finish yes, off, you, ha- you have seen plenty of top 10 shootouts in your time. It's time for you yeah, to have yeah. a crack at the V8 Sleuth Top 10 Shootout. Now, yeah, if, the, if this is anything like when we do shootouts at Norwell, I always choke. So, well, um, I'll, you don't I'll have try to, my best not to choke on this one. You don't have to steer or tap any pedals or set a lap time on this one. I'm going to give you 10 things and you give me the first word that comes into your head. It's fancy word association. So you ready? Yes. If those who can't see the video, you are focusing your inner zen right now here. There's some, the, it's, I, like, it's like if anybody watches Friends, it's like the the game, the game in Friends. You'll only get that if you watch Friends. Yeah, my wife's a Friends tragic. I've watched a few, but she'll know exactly what you're talking about. And some of our listeners will as well. Okay. You are like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll ask her when I get home and I'll get the answer on, on it all. Top 10 shootout, first thing that comes in your head, you can have multiple words if it helps you get across what you really need to say about this thing or person. Okay. Okay. Jamie Winkup. Perfectionist. Shane Van Gisbergen. Loose. (laughs) (laughs) Bathurst. Epic. Red Bull. Gives you wings. I was just going to say wings, but I'll let you have a couple of extra (laughs) words. That's okay. Thanks. Vodafone. Team. Rallying. So much fun. <laughs> if we hyphen it, it can be one word. Yeah. Uh, I said that like it was one word. I didn't. It did it. actually. It ran it rolled together really well. It was nicely done. Nice excitement. Nice excitement. BTCC. Childhood. Mm. TCR. Cool fun. Good fun. Cool fun. That was <laughs> Cool fun, good fun. Yeah, near enough, near enough. Uh, Two to go, two to go. Craig Lowndes. Smiles. It's hard to argue that. Last one. This won't hurt much. I promise, (laughs) I swear. Roland Dane. Overlord. trying to remember. The reason why that took a while was because I was trying to remember that word because somebody used it my go-to is dictator but somebody asked us the other day what will like um what's going on is roland still the overlord and we lost it we were like that's perfect (laughs) yeah (laughs) done you've survived you didn't hit the guardrail like a tire or or make any mistakes you've nailed the top 10 shooter Uh, i did i didn't get the one word thing that that. No, I, I, look, well it, it was race days tomorrow, I think is the term that most drivers use when they haven't quite set pole. So close, you're on the front row. That's near enough. We'll, we'll take that. You can win from there. Triple H's won from row three at Bathurst, row two, row one. You've done it all. It doesn't matter where you start. So I'm sure you did just fine. <laughs> hey, thanks for sitting down with me and having a chat. I know plenty of our listeners will really appreciate the insights into to what's been going on at Triple Eight, what's going on in, in your world and, and what's going to happen at Triple Eight in, in the upcoming future. And I know that there's... A lot of our listeners are fans of your team for what you've achieved over the years, the bar that you've set 
for those who follow other teams, I think they'd have a begrudging respect for what you've also achieved as well. Uh, probably throwing the odd dagger along the way, but it wouldn't be motorsport without it. But we're looking forward to getting back to the track, getting some Sydney motorsport part racing up and rolling. And of course, the big one, the Repco Bathurst 1000, the first weekend of December. It's an ultra race that's uh, very special to Triple Eight. And you guys have had a, a lot of success there over the past. We're just looking forward to seeing you all in person. It's been a long time since oh, the Sleuth team's been, uh, yeah, been able to beat the track. So. Thanks again I, for, I wanted um, to um I wanted to say this earlier, but it slipped my mind. But I just wanted to say like how appreciative the whole sport should be, whether you're a, whether you work in it or you're a fan. Um, how appreciative everyone should be of the fact that we even have a championship getting started again. The fact that supercars and the teams and everyone have have made this happen and I know that there's been a lot of negative feedback around the fact that we've got four Sydney Motorsport Park races in a row um there's been a lot of negative kickback around that and a lot of negative chat and commentary on social media and whatnot but just like people need to put it into perspective the fact that we've even got a championship happening in these current conditions is like we we have to take our hats off to the people at supercars and and the government and teams and, and everyone at all the peripherals everyone from dunlop to the support categories who who can make this possible it's yeah we we really need to to be appreciative of that of the fact that we can we will even finish this championship after the hurdles that this year has thrown at us so massive thank you to everyone who makes it possible and massive thank you to all the fans who can who can see that and um, and all the support that we get and can't wait to see you all back at a track. Mm, I know that that perspective is is important. So appreciate that and echo that that sentiment as well. And, and you're right. We want to get back to a track. We want to see some cars go around. I know that for those who can't be there, they'll be able to view it on TV. But hopefully, we can get some more people to the mountains so SVG can pop some burnouts. No matter what, wherever he finishes, it doesn't matter if we. Get a pocket of people, we can fry some Dunlop. Sounds good to me. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down today. We really appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you at a track soon. Thank you so much. Great to chat. And yes, I can't wait to see you in real life at Bathurst. Ah, great to have a chat with Jess Day and a lot of interesting bits and pieces in among this podcast that I'm sure will keep the Triple Eight fans excited and hungry for next year and probably give a little bit of an insight into someone who, if you haven't, if you're not a Triple Eight fan or you don't follow the team or you don't know much about Jess, you probably learned a great pile in this pod. I hope you really enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having the chat. So a big thanks to Jess for taking the time to sit down and have a chat very recently. Christmas is coming. Jump on the website, bookshop.vhsleuth.com.au. Plenty of books, plenty of new stuff, plenty of upcoming stuff, plenty of old favourites. Uh, jump on there. It's the perfect thing, Nick, for Christmas. Tell you what, too. If you've got little kids, we can cover that as well. The Little Heroes book series is going bananas. Molly Taylor's book selling really well. The Peter Perfect one. There's a there's a, a Gentle Jim, Jim Richards book. There's a Dick Johnson one. There's a John Bow one. They're great little kids' books with fantastic illustrations put together by our friend Grant Riley. They're rippers. Jump on the website and grab them, and you can wrap them up and tuck them away. Maybe it's a good thing to suggest to Santa for Christmas this year. It's a pretty cool thing for the junior rev heads out there. Uh, don't forget to join our newsletter list, vhsleuth.com.au. You'll get all the latest in terms of what's going on with our online store, with our website, with the latest articles and feature stories and the like. Uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you don't follow us there already, do so. It's the place to follow because we're quite active there. And, of course, we're active here in the pod space. Next week, we'll be back with another edition of the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. I cannot 
tell you what it's going to be. You have to tune in. Don't forget, subscribe so you never, ever miss an episode. You get all the notifications of when a new podcast drops. In the meantime, though, I'm Aaron Noonan. We'll chat to you next week. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the V8 Salute Podcast, powered by Repco. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.